Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 136. This week, we talk with Nick Craver about running Stack Overflow at scale. Microsoft is about to fix our biggest frustration. Jason's AirPod review. And if your laptop doesn't have three 4K monitors, it's time for a new one. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week we have Nick Craver, architecture lead at Stack Overflow. How's it going, Nick? Pretty good. How about you guys? Good, good. I'm super excited. Um, Carl lined this up, and uh, I've always been a huge fan of your architecture blog posts. Um, and I know we've talked about them on the show before, so I'm super excited to talk about this. So, Carl, what do we have for the comment of the week? Comment of the week we got off of our website from Majeris. Uh, we were uh, talking about Ubiquity the other day, and uh, he got excited because uh, he has uh, Ubiquity in his home since 2010. And uh, he, he kind of brings a few points uh about there being several different product lines from Ubiquity, hmm. uh, some being a little bit more inclusive, some being a little bit more um, standalone. And he says the Unify line, uh, which I think was the one that we talked about, as he yeah. sees it, is aimed at uh, small to medium-sized businesses. Interestingly, Ubiquity did just drop the Amplify line a few months ago, and that's aimed at residential consumers. So really a lot of their stuff that we're looking at right now is made uh, – a little bit more heavy duty because it's made for businesses. So we really enjoyed your comment, Majerus. And if you want to get mentioned on the show like him, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Yeah, I love that he he left that comment. And um, I think I mentioned this before, but I love companies that, that make high-end... Uh, like commercial grade products and then mm-hmm. get into the consumer space. I think that they, they may, they tend to make some of the, the best products. You know, I always use like Garmin as an example, you know, building like aircraft GPS for, you know, $10,000 and up. And then they, all of a sudden they build something for the car and it's just, you know, it's just great getting all that R and D um, in a residential product. So I'm, I guess I'm kind of assuming, but you know, a lot of that expertise that, that uh, ubiquity has can come down into that consumer line. So yeah, I'm anxious to hear um, how well that works. That's great. Uh, I'm running it. Yeah. Oh, that's what you're running. The I Amplify just, line. I just install it for a family friend as well. Uh, that's the one we, okay. we found a botnet on their DVR was the actual issue, but now they have some really kick-ass Wi-Fi as well. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. So they have—is it uh, multiple access points and? Yeah. So in my office, you can actually okay. see on the wall over there. They're oh, not. They're kind of unobtrusive. Uh, you get yeah. one controller to manage everything, and you can run it on yeah. a Raspberry Pi or their cloud gear computer, and uh, you put as many access points as you want. So when we do the basement here, actually, these just came in the mail. Two SFP. Uh, Converters. Okay. I'll run two 10 gig lines to the basement, put another switch in, one gig for now, but they're 10 gig capable, and then I'll put another access point down there. <laughs> but you need more coverage, you just add a point. You know, it's not buying another $400 router, you buy a $120 access point. And I could. Uh, is, your get, base, is your basement the backup line for Stack Overflow? 
That's that's the guest room. Uh, these okay. you can get gigabit Wi-Fi. It's uh, it's incredible. Nice. Stuff's very so uh, so is your place available on Airbnb? Because that would be <laughs> as, as far as like network connectivity while traveling. That would be uh, your house would be the best option. You you make uh, you make us look kind of pathetic as far as like you know architecture of of our uh, Wi-Fi and that. So <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty hilarious. Yeah, that does look pretty good on the wall. So did you just run the cable like into the wall and down? Yeah, so uh, I run all my. I can show you pictures if you want. I run Ubiquity in my uh, setup here, all the network stuffs, and I have two IKEA okay. Expedits, the Calyxes now, under my desks. Mm-hmm. So I run my desktops on there, put the Ubiquity under, and I've got just a port panel on the wall which has cable coming from DirecTV from Time Warner. That's our internet. You only get 300 down, 20 up. That's that's as much as it gets around here. Um, and then I have Ethernet. So like my TVs only have Ethernet. They have yeah. power and Ethernet. That's it. There is no cable. But you can watch direct TV over TCP IP from the Genie. The mm-hmm. RVU stuff actually has like the client built into the TV. There's no HDMI port or anything. It's just a very thin TV and a network, and it's, it works okay. pretty well. You want to point your camera down a little bit because it, it's just like a oh, – you can I see like half that. your face. There, there we go. <laughs> There's some secret stack overflow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, hide all the secret stuff. Oh, no. People are going to see the – It's not They're going to see the, the future answers. Uh, <laughs> so before we jump into the news, one thing that I was going to do, I actually got for people on video, you'll be able to see these, but I got the new, I can't even see what I'm projecting here. So there we go. I got the new Apple AirPods. And when these things were announced, I, I just made a whole bunch of jokes about them. I thought they were the stupidest thing. Um, I thought they looked stupid. I thought they were expensive. Um, I thought that, you know, I would just lose one of them. Um, I was like, why would, why would any idiot ever buy those? And then, and then, you um, <laughs> and then I, and then this idiot bought them. <laughs> so I kind of want to, I want to explain cause my, my, my thinking on them just reversed one day and I, I was just thinking about Bluetooth headsets and I know Carl, you've been making recommendations and I've been listening to like a lot of different recommendations. Like, you know, I go for, I go on walks, um, and sometimes do some running and I never wanted anything that would go over the ears. Um, it's just, I don't, it just feels like obtrusive to me. So it's just, that's just sort of a, a, a personal choice thing. Um, so, you know, I, I just haven't done Bluetooth. I've always been a fan of the wires and I've always actually liked the Apple ear pods. They always fit me really well. Mm-hmm. And I like the controls on the cord. Um, and that was the other thing too, on AirPods, like there's, there's really no control. So I'd be giving that up as well. Um, so what I did is I, I, I started thinking about it a little bit more and, and I was thinking for podcasts, it sure would be nice to throw just be able to throw something really quick into my ear and be able to listen to a podcast and then pop it back out. Um, so I, I started looking at some reviews of the AirPods and I, I started giving them a little bit more of a chance um, and they started to make sense to me. And then I went out and I looked at some reviews and a lot of people were like, Oh, you know, like the Jaybirds are better. Like the Jaybird X threes are out now. And they're basically these ones where you have like uh, two headphones and they're connected with a wire. And I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, if one falls out, then you don't have to worry about it. So I actually went and bought those and they come with some, some different size earpieces. I always I always assumed that my ears were gigantic, but apparently the inside of my ears is actually pretty small. Um, so I ended up using like the small, you have to like size these things, uh, the, the Jaybirds. And then um, what was annoying about them is you have to like install them. You have to like push in your ear and like twist and I don't know, like, you know, hit it with a hammer. It was just really weird. Um, and it, 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 it was easy to get into my right ear, but my left ear, um, it was difficult to get into anyway, kind of a long story short. I actually, I really hated them. I thought they were super uncomfortable and it just sort of reaffirmed the fact that I, I didn't want something like that. I really, 
actually wanted the the ear pods, but without a wire, because while I'm walking, like my coat ends up pulling on them and, and all that kind of stuff. Plus it's awkward to have like one in and one out. So anyway, um, you know, I was right on the, the, um, the lack of controls that is pretty annoying. Um, the, um, one thing I will mention the, the Apple magic does, does give them a little bit of usability advantage with the, the Jaybirds, like the charging of them was really awkward. You'd install this really weird charging plate. And, uh, it was something that I would probably end up forgetting somewhere. And, um, pairing these is, is magic as well. Like you literally just open the case up next to a phone. Again, if you're, if you're on video, well, I'm not even going to show it. I'll just, I'll skip past that. But if you just pop the the case open, they end up pairing with whichever iPhone is closest. Um, so a little bit of Apple magic. They do have a button on the back of the case that will make it so you can pair them with other things. I haven't a- actually paired them with anything else. I just use them with the, with the iPhone. Um, so price, yeah, they are expensive. If you start looking at, um, if you actually start looking at any headphones that are the same design where you have two independent headphones like this, these actually, to my knowledge, are the cheapest ones that you can buy. Um, most of those are like, uh, you know, $170, $200. Some of them are even $300. The one where you have two independent headphones like this. And they, I don't think those other ones have the Apple magic where you just pop in one. These actually detect that it's in your ear and we'll just turn on that one. You pop it out and it'll actually pause music and it'll turn off your podcast or, or whatever. So there's actually a huge, um, you know, ecosystem advantage of buying, you know, an Apple product. Um, so people are always worried about them falling out. I tried to make them fall out um, by like moving my jaw around, by like you know thrashing my head around. Um, they don't fall out of my ears. Like they, it's just so, like not possible. Yeah, go ahead. How do they compare? How do they compare fit wise compared to like the traditional Apple earphones? Yeah. that I don't with? know why people are saying they're a different size. I I have looked like no, very, very so close. so my yeah. question is: Are they the same? Because I don't like the the ones that come with. Yeah. So they, they don't, based on me looking at them, they are identical. The difference being the, the stems are a little bit thicker, which mm-hmm. really doesn't affect it. But here's the thing, like my headphones, I, I, what I realized while I was waiting for these things to get shipped, mm-hmm. what I realized is every time that the, the um, air, ear pods were falling out of my ears was actually due to the cord pulling on it, usually because of a jacket or something. Now, if the ear pods don't fit your ears, don't get the AirPods. Like they just, it, they're the same thing that will not, they won't fit right. If the, if the, if the ear pods currently like make your ear sore or something like that, then the AirPods are just, it does, doesn't make any sense. So anyway, for, for like around the house, like being able to like pop this, this little case open, throw one in my ear and start listening to a podcast is amazing. I can still hear everything around me. Um, when I'm done, I can just take it out. It pauses. I pop it in, uh, into the case and it, and the case charges it. And I won't get in all the technical details cause I don't think that's interesting. Now, one of the things that I talked about earlier was losing these. It, it, it actually, you, you will, nobody will ever lose one of these. And I'm sure like somebody will obviously, but what I'm saying is like, there's no reason for you to ever lose one of these. It makes, it makes zero sense for you to lose one of these unless they don't fit in your ears and they fall out somewhere because the reason being these things are either in my ears or they're in this case. There's no other place that these, I never like take one out and like sit it on my desk. Like I just did for an example. I would, you'd never do that. Like this, this is the home of them. They charge in here and that's where they end up living. So, um, you will never lose one of them. What you will lose is this. You will lose both of them, including the charger. If that's, you're either going to lose nothing or you're going to lose the whole thing. That's what's going to happen. And it's totally possible that the, 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 the strange effect happens though. And I've heard people comment on this. 
when you spend $160 on something, you tend to mentally keep track of it. I have roughly, I don't know, 10 pairs of ear pods around the house. Um, I, I know where one pair, well, there might be one in my desk. (laughs) I don't know. Like they're, they're, they're so inexpensive and they come, you know, after you keep buying phones, right. You keep getting them. Like it's not worth the mental energy, keeping track of them. Um, so there is that. So I, you know, I have yet to misplace these, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see, but I, I actually think that they're, they're great. Um, I think they're, I think it's reasonable for the price. Um, if you are a runner and, and if you ever have one that you think might fall out on occasion, there's that little wire that you can get to hold the two together. And people are like, well, it's stupid. You need a wire. You know, then it's like the other headphones, like why not get some of the other headphones? Well, the reason being, because you have options, the fact that they're independently communicating Bluetooth to each one just means that you can use the right one. You can use the left one. You can use both and you can use both with a wire if you want. It's just, it's about the the flexibility. So any other questions? Does that make, does that make sense? That's my review. My I, I actually love them. Yeah. They look appealing. My, the main problem I have with them is that my main use case is a six hour yeah. flight. And after about okay. five, they die and you're just kind of, while they no, recharge. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's no. Okay. So you have to put them back in the sure. case. Yeah. So, so there's a couple, a couple comments on that. So mm-hmm. the, I wasn't going to mention the specs specifically because they always lie about battery life. Like, first of all, there's some, there's something going on in this because the case is supposed to ultimately give you 24 hours of listen time. Right. Um, I'm pretty convinced and I don't quite have enough data yet that this thing just drains very quickly doing nothing like with them sitting in there, even though they're at hundred mm-hmm. percent, the case rapidly loses charge. And I don't know if that's because of the battery they're using. And again, that's like, I don't have enough evidence to, to like show that, but I've mm-hmm. seen that happen where magically I also have a lot less charge. So there's a couple things you could do there when the battery is getting low and they make it so you can check the battery really easy. Cause you pop open the case and you can see the, you can see the battery level of each one, mm-hmm. what you could do on a plane, you could pop one of them out, continue listening on the other one, pop it in this case. If you put it in, these things charge like insanely fast. If you put it in there for five minutes, you're going to be good to go again. Put that one in here, pop the other one out five minute charge. Not, it's not going to be a problem. I mean, obviously you're only going to have one headphone for, you know, a few minutes or whatever, but I, that I really don't see that as a big problem. If they took four hours of charge, that would be a, a bigger issue. Um, but they tend it like on the six hour flight, you're going to go use the bathroom. Right. So like, if it, well, unless you just want to take them with you, I guess. But if, 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 if like, if you want, like whenever they come take your drink order, mm-hmm. you know, just like pop them in the case like while they're making your drink, even for that minute, it would get you through a six hour flight. I'm pretty convinced. I'd give them a try. So, I'm, I'm very yeah. happy with, I have a very small Bluetooth and you just plug it a three and a half, three and a half millimeter into, yeah. and it, you just get 24 hours of charge. Um, mm. So, uh, they're interesting. They're not for yeah. me. I don't, I, of course, I don't like how the ear, AirPods fit or the earpods fit in the first place. Wife, yeah. my wife really does though, so she might. Give me yeah, I take these headphones on a plane because I find these to be, mm-hmm. you know, they 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 block out the sound really well. But for walking, I mean, I use the I use these AirPods for a couple hours every day generally. Have you tried um, the so ear? The ones what that, was that the in ear or just the um, the ones that don't have as much adjustment. The the ones that you tried were they the triple in ear like it's uh, three flanges that you're pressing in. No, well, they had they had like a little piece of rubber and then they had like a like a like a no, Nike swoosh it, thing. It, it kind of hooked on the inside of your ear. Yeah, it, it hooked into the ear. Yeah. Did you stop when you met resistance? well i actually i mean i didn't really want to get into that but like the jaybirds like you had to jam them into your ears because (laughs) uh, that's you had to if if you go look at the reviews some people will say that they sound terrible and other people will swear they are like the best sounding headphones of that design Mm -hmm. the reason is the little piece on there there's rubber and foam that they give you you can use either one 
They have to make a complete seal within your ear. They sound like absolute garbage with no bass unless they have a, a, a perfect seal within your ears. So that that's the difference in the in the reviews there. But anyway, I, I just kind of wanted to give my take because I felt like a lot of the reviews... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's usually, you know, Apple people. Um, I, I consider myself just, I just, I think I have a little bit different perspective, like seeing them as being completely ridiculous at first and then sort of thinking like, okay, what, what is the actual vision here? And, and does this actually make sense? And, um, and, and see how they actually work for me. So if you like the existing ear pods, um, and you're, you're okay giving up some of those, those controls, um, I actually, so whenever you double tap on these things, they, it, 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 uh, Siri comes in your ear and, you know, you can do commands. You can say volume up, which is the, the that's still like the, the craziest <laughs> thing ever. Um, I immediately switch it. You can actually switch out to play pause, which I find immensely useful because I can just go do pause, you know, and keep them in. And then I can double tap them again to play. Or even when I first put them in, like music just doesn't start playing. I just want to play the last thing I was playing. So I just double tap them and it starts playing. Um, so I'm, I'm glad they did that. I wish they had other options, like maybe like a triple tap or something. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, I just kind of wanted to give everybody a little bit different perspective on them and, and actually specifically talk about podcasting because music is, I think a different animal. I rarely listen to music, uh, but for, for podcasting, especially like being able to throw one in there and be walking or whatever, it's, it's great. Uh, so anyway, that segment was way longer than what I wanted, but hopefully that was useful to people that, uh, that are listening. Um, okay. Microsoft is about to fix windows laptops. Biggest frustration. Preach, yeah. Carl. At WinHack in December, Microsoft announced that uh, coming uh, sometime soon, in order to get the little window made for Windows 10 sticker on uh, computers, that they're going to have to support precision touchpads on all laptops. Mm-hmm. And that's huge because then you get all the gestures yeah. uh, in Windows. <laughs> so while it doesn't give you a Mac touchpad, like uh, I know a lot of people want. The gold it's standard, definitely yeah. a, a big step forward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that it just keeps improved. I mean, that the precision touchpad, like the, my service book, the trackpad is much better. It's, you know, 90% as good as, as the Mac, but we just, we still got to keep pushing that forward. It's got to, it's got to get perfect. Although I think the Mac is taking a few steps backwards. I saw, I saw one of the new Macs recently where the touchpad is just almost ridiculously too big. It is. It's comically huge now. <laughs> well, that's because they they refuse to go with touchscreens. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's just funny how like the contortions they're going through just so that they can't admit defeat on the on the touchscreens. It's just it's unbelievable. It'll never happen. They can't unless they're half a millimeter thick. Johnny Ive's just gonna punt it out the door. Well, I, I was almost wondering if there's some some engineering reason with the OS that they just kind of for some reason engineered their way out of being able to support it easily. Well, I mean, there, you, you always are going to go through that, that period where it sucks, right? Like when, when, when Apple went to retina or, you know, as in the windows world, we mm-hmm. call it a high DPI, mm-hmm. um, you know, like that pixel doubling, um, like the world sucked for a year. I mean, like the Twitter client was messed up for more than a year. Um, You know, there's, there's these, this pain you have to go through and it's kind of like removing the headphone jack. Um, You have to go through that pain. And the thing is like on the Windows side, like we've gone through that pain. (laughs) So now, you know, like we're kind of in the clear 
And, and, you know, we have, a, we've learned a lot. We figured out a lot of things and now Apple would have to go and do the same thing, right? They would have to, they would have to have a poor experience for a year because there's just no way to perfect it on, on the first, the first go at it. And you can't, I mean, people have to update apps and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, and now's not a good time. I mean, they're not people, they, they don't, they don't have like a really positive mind share at this point with, with the stuff that they've been doing. So, okay. Um, in more positive news, uh, <laughs> no, rest in <laughs> peace, cyanogen. Oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, cyanogen was the, uh, AOSP, uh, Android, uh, open source version of, well, Android that, uh, kind of, well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't use it cause I'm not huge, huge on Android, <laughs> but I know it was pretty popular for people kind of like wanting to just strip all the crap out of their phones. Yeah. Cause it would like replace the OS, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You would, you would root your phone and get rid of whatever came on it and you would get yeah. this and it would be theoretically a nice, uh, maybe even newer version of Android than what you can normally get. Right, right. And, and Microsoft had made deals with them in order to get, um, uh, their office apps, even Cortana installed by default on, uh, on Cyanogen. And now that, uh, Cyanogen is uh, essentially out of business now, it looks like uh, Microsoft doesn't have that to lean on in the mobile space. Yeah. I think really, it's really unfortunate because a lot of people were like, you know, using this, they loved it. So I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, let's see here. Razors. Here's the, here's my next laptop, Carl Razors concept. Laptop has three 17 inch 4k displays. Your laptop does not, your laptop sucks. It does <laughs> suck now. Is that the so, real yeah, title? I, oh yeah. yeah that is the actual the, title. <laughs> wait, they're not 4k. This article is wrong. It's 10 K total. So it can't be 4k it's, per. So it's close to 4k. Well, well, most 4K monitors aren't actually 4K either. So right, right, they're 3.8. 3.8. So either way, uh, it's a lot more displays than you normally have. It's four mm-hmm. feet of displays wide. I think it's 28 by nine or something like that when you add them all together. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, uh, as we're recording this. This is uh, day one at CES, and this is a CES article. This is not for sale. Razer is not saying that they're even going to make this. But man, I want multiple displays on my laptop. Yeah, I wonder I wonder what the kind of minimum bar if, if, if let's say we well, I guess they sort of have to be 4K, but I don't know. Well, like if, to have a good screen, what is the minimum bar to have two more screens that fold out like this? Like what I wonder what the weight adder is. Like if you take um, you know, just a reasonably powerful laptop, like nothing, nothing insane, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe like a four pound five, well, let's say four or five pound laptop. Um, I'm wondering what like the weight adder and, and uh, let's just ignore cost, but it's like, are we going to start seeing laptops that, that actually do this in production, um, have, you know, two screens that fold out because that that's kind of a game changer in my mind. I think for the foreseeable future, it's still kind of a gimmick. But that doesn't mean I don't want one. Well, the thing is, people would buy it. I mean, I you kn- I know that if this product came out, and maybe it already exists, and somebody will send us an email. But I just I feel like if if this existed and was like a viable option, I mean, not like ridiculously expensive, like not like nine thousand dollars, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, like a four thousand dollar machine that has very respectable st- specs and these three screens. I c- I could just I would see them start popping up at work. Like people would be going into hack fest with these things, and um, I. Think think i'd start seeing it not for gaming but for you know just specifically productivity just get the get your three seats on a plane sit in the middle oh yeah that'd be (laughs) awesome (laughs) can you imagine (laughs) 
speaking of which, I so I did. T- I took these. I was on a plane yesterday, and I I took these uh, AirPods on a plane, and I was kind of wondering. Like, first of all, I feel like a really stupid. They just they look really stupid. Uh, <laughs> I t- I keep telling myself like, you don't care what people think. You don't ca-. like. I don't know what. There's like one part of my brain that doesn't, and the other part does, and I can't turn it off. But uh, of course, you know, I did get questions about them. Like, what do you think? How do they fit? You know, it's just it's just funny because they're you know they're like impossible to buy right now. I just lucked out um, and saw them on the the Verizon site and actually got them shipped in like two days. But um, yeah, not many people have them, but they're interested in them. So lots of good, but this would, yeah, yeah, I could wear my, my AirPods on a plane with my three screen uh, uh, laptop. Ah, be interesting. The battery life (laughs) on this is don't LCDs use like 20 to 30% of the battery at the moment. Most laptops. Um, Well, I I think that per- yeah I would say yes I think the percentage obviously varies depending on your CPU load right yeah. like the CPU can go way higher but yeah you're right this would definitely make the monitor dominate your battery for sure okay ten things I learned making the fastest site in the world what's this all about Carl yeah so uh, since we uh, are eventually going to be talking about uh, optimization and stuff I thought this was kind of interesting because I I kind of agreed with some of it. Mm-hmm. I disagreed with other pieces and I agreed with the concept, but not how he stated it for several of the other options, which kind of, you know, goes to anything on the internet. You really have to look at some of these things with a, with a grain of salt and maybe even a tad bit of experience behind it. Um, mm-hmm. But there were a few things that, you know, I, you know, I had heard, but still don't know the answer to like, there's number two on there. Do mobile first, like actually build your site mobily first. That's something I've, I've heard sounds about right but you know is that actually i've I've never done it so i don't have anything to compare Uh, i I think it's worth trying right so i think i think i think developers should try it and then see if if that works out being a better approach i don't i don't think there's going to be one answer here um i wanted to make some comments on like this this article is hilarious first of all um i love some of his comments like this one whenever i feel reluctant to throw out some work i recall that life is pointless and nothing we do even exists if the power goes out (laughs) Um, my favorite part of that quote, I almost want to get this framed is like, is this is the part, nothing we do even exists if the power goes out. (laughs) Um, that's, that kind of puts what we do in perspective (laughs) since it's all like virtual and digital. Now I think, so my, my opinion on performance, like I think it's, I think it's super important. First of all, Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that it, I think that it, um, doesn't get enough attention, um, because people be like, Oh, you know, premature optimization is the root of all evil, blah, 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 blah. Um, I guess I, I, the reason I disagree with that is like for, for client side performance, I, I think it's just, it's just one of those aspects where as you're doing things, like it's, it's just something that you can't forget because if you forget, you dig yourself in too deep of a hole and then you're just, you're, you're just locked in. Like you, it's one of those things where you can't justify then like, Hey boss, like we want to spend a whole bunch of money making the site faster and um, you know, we don't have any numbers to back this up and it's just going to make our lives easier or whatever. Like it's, it, you're just going to be starting in this hole. Um, so I, I think it's, it's always worth reading about these techniques that way, whenever you're doing this, it just sort of pops in your head and says, okay, this, I, I can, I can use some of these, these techniques. And I think he's got some interesting comments here about modern ways to do this because I've done a lot of this optimization in the past. And it's funny because this list is completely different than what, uh, than what it used to be. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting seeing that, that progression and how the web works. Well, I think, you know, your comment there that, uh, if you don't have the numbers to back anything up, I think if there's anything you should prematurely optimize, it's measuring something, 
Mm-hmm. That way, when you do change something, you can you have a, a measuring stick to go against. Yes, you've got to measure before any big change like that. Otherwise, you're just poking at knobs, and it's there's a, a lot of developers seem to they optimize something they think they're optimizing the overall, and either they're messing up the big picture, or it's just a psychological win. Like ah, this feels faster. You're dealing with thirty milliseconds. This is this is like to me an audiophile with a five thousand set of dollar set of headphones versus a six thousand dollar set. They're like, oh yeah, it's way better. Yeah. I'm like you're full of. Um, oh, that's that's a that's yeah, a measure. that's a great analogy. Like going from a from a five dollar set of headphones to a uh, hundred and fifty dollar set of headphones is like a, a world of difference. But you're right; it's totally diminishing returns. Um, yeah, you, know, the 20, you have to use tubes because yeah, you got to use uh, tubes because the sound is warmer. <laughs> um, so use tubes in your web server so that your pages are are warmer. <laughs> that's what we do. Yep. Uh, you heard it here first. Anything else you want to mention about this article, Carl? No, I thought okay. it was just a, a nice warm up to our discussion. Yeah, I think it's worth a read, and I I think that um, you'll be entertained reading as well. This guy is pretty hilarious. Some of the the comments he makes. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Okay, so let's talk to Nick because I know Nick has a wealth of knowledge locked up in his head that we that we want to talk about. And I guess first of all, uh, one thing that we'll do is we'll have a link in the show notes because on your blog, this is this is the you know I talked about this earlier. This is the blog post that I read every time this comes out. Um, I always read it and I'm always mesmerized. And actually, I always use Stack Overflow as an example of the amount of traffic that you can get out of hardware. Um, whenever people are like, oh, well, you know, if you're going to have, you know, 10,000 users in a month, you need to have, you know, 18 servers or something, which is ridiculous because if you think about it, you probably don't even have two users at a time. Uh, and, and whenever you're talking at certain low numbers, um, but I, I always point them to this, to this blog post. So I, I really like this. So I guess, first of all, let's, let's, let's throw some stats out there. Like what, what kind of scale does Stack Overflow operate at? Uh, so typically around uh, over a billion web like page hits per month, and our mm-hmm. traffic's uh, at the moment like between six and seven billion hits to our load balancer, uh, and that's not including all the HTTP you know cache in front of it from CDN for static resources. That's just you know yeah. actual actual stuff that comes all the way back to our data center, um, and we can still run that on one web server. Um, we yeah. don't do it by <laughs> intentionally, but sometimes it happens. <laughs> Now, when you say one web server too, like what what is that web server actually doing? Uh, so that's just is that like IIS or yep. is it something else? So Windows twenty twelve okay. R two right now. We're looking at twenty sixteen. We've got a test VM in rotation. Yeah. Uh, IIS, uh, you're running multiple app pools. Uh, all we run nine web servers typically, and another two for Dev and Meta is our kind of staging area. Meta Stack Overflow, Meta Stack Exchange are actually two different mm-hmm. web servers. They run beside Dev. One through nine are Stack Overflow and the rest of the network. So if you hit Stack Overflow or you hit Bicycles.StackExchange, it's actually the same exact app pool. It's a multi-tenancy. So all of our hundreds of domains hit that one thing. Other things like careers or the API, those are other app pools also on all nine. Um, and you're talking about about 64 gigs in those servers. They typically run around 40. And that's just GC gets lazier when you get more memory, which it should. Uh, and then you have um, dual 12 core CPUs in them. I can get you exact specs if you're curious. Or actually, it's in that. Uh, there's a blog post. Yeah, well, just yeah. I mean, if, yeah, we don't have to get uh, too detailed here. But it, the yeah. point is, you're talking about like a twelve thousand dollar server, not a yeah. hundred thousand dollar server. When you're talking about right. we can run one and continually run one. Uh, yeah, you don't need a lot of hardware. You just need to optimize. And it, and it's IAS. I mean, people because there's still people still come to me and say like, oh, IAS is slow, or you know, like. 
they're, they'll be running node and like, why, why do I have to run node with, with IS and Azure, which you don't. Uh, but you know, the, it by default, if you're using like a windows machine, like that's how it works. I'm like, why don't want IIS and their IIS is slow. And I always point them as this, as, as an example, it's like, this is one of the busiest pages, uh, or sites on the internet mm-hmm. and they can run it through one IIS server. So h- how is it slow? <laughs> And the average question page uh, last month, I just pulled the numbers again, 18.2 milliseconds. It just, yeah. it's, you, and that's not, people think that we're caching. No, if you, a logged in user goes in, all the counts in the top bar are a hit to Redis. That's about five to seven hits to Redis, depending on who mm-hmm. you are, if you're a mod or not. The question, the answers, the comments, all loaded from the database real time when you loaded that page. The sidebar for related questions may or may not be cached. Most of the time it's not. Um, uh, the tags in the top right are hitting our tag engine in the background, and you can do all that together in 18 milliseconds. And that's we haven't even go full a- full async yet, so we can probably get that further down. But <laughs> when you zoom out, that's actually not the place to optimize, which is probably something worth talking about. A lot of developers focus on this one number, and you zoom out to let's say Australia, and the load time is 400 to 600 milliseconds. Oh, that 18 is not looking so fancy, is it? You need to optimize other things. You need your, your network, your HTTP2, your um, your connection latency, your TLS false starts, right? Like a lot of other things come into play once you zoom out and you get people consider ops land, I guess, a little bit. Uh, and that's kind of interesting because we don't have those boundaries so much. Devs kind of cross in and they're looking at the whole picture. So some of the numbers that actually look small to me, like one of them here, three terabytes total sent. Three, so three terabytes. Um, that actually seems kind of small. Does that seem small to you? Uh, so you're looking at which, let me pull up the exact blog post here. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at your your. You have a long list of like detailed numbers here. Um, so it talks about the bytes total sent. Yeah, see, so that's uh, that's HTTP. Yeah, that's all mm-hmm. we're sending. The pages okay. aren't meant to be that fast. Of course, that's gzipped because that's what's on the wire. But so, what is your standard like throughput? Like, what kind of internet connection would I have to have to run Stack Overflow at my house? Uh, you could run it. So right now, for example, we're up at uh, 40 megabytes outbound. It's not a lot. It's not... Megabits or megabytes? Megabytes. My home connection's, you know, five megabytes up. So, okay. and that's on cable. So, so, so if we had, so if you had a, if you had a gig connection at your home, you could host Stack Overflow. Yes. Wow. Till someone DDoS you. Some people. I mean, that shows mean. that shows some of the. I mean, that shows some of the efficiency there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll 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 get into that. Uh, not quite yet, but that shows some of the efficiency on the client side. So that's very cool. So I've been kind of following Stack Overflow from the beginning. Uh, as I was pulling up some of the the show notes. Uh, information for you for that we're going to put with the show notes. I noticed that I even have a, like a lower stack uh, overflow number than you. Uh, so mm-hmm. like, I was just wondering, like looking at it over time, it started with kind of just uh, you know a couple of people mm-hmm. developing it, and now that you have a, a quite a big team, you know how has the architecture changed? You know from two thousand and five ish when it was Jeff Atwood to to kind of now, what were the lessons that were learned since then? Or how have things changed that forced your hand? We don't, so I guess we change something when it makes sense, right? People get locked into these architectures and that's just a bad habit. Um, you know, this is like any uh, political thing or decisions. You're like, when new information comes in, you can change your mind. That's how brains are supposed to operate, right? <laughs> and if if something is worth not only changing, not only is it better, like it's worth changing to. Because people are like, oh, this is better, this is faster. Okay, but it's not free to move, right? I have to move my data or move my code or, you know, move to the cloud. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's easy to say. You said it in how many words. Now go do it with something our scale and it's it's immeasurably hard right um so things like elastic like search we 
we had full text search against SQL Server. Uh, we ran it for tags. Actually, if you search like a tag of JavaScript or C Sharp, it would use full text search on the post table to go and find it. And it was a beautiful hack. Uh, but the start and end of a tag was a funny A and a funny E in Unicode, which, by the way, totally screwed us when we went to localize into like Russian <laughs> and Spanish. And now we're like, ah, damn it. So, um, Atwood had this beautiful hack, and that was our delimiter for words for full text search. And we ran that, and then CPU uh-huh. was getting hot. We broke that. So actually, the first day I started, he said, put in, fix it. And so we're like, all right, lucene.net. And we scaled a little bit, and then Hurricane Sandy came along, and we broke that. Because uh, we went from nine web servers in New York, which were kind of on the edge, and then we went to seven out in Oregon at the time, uh, our backup data center. And it was enough mm-hmm. contention increase from nine to seven that we tripped uh, timeouts. It, there's a binary reader lock inside there. Nasty little place. They fixed this long since. We helped them, gave them all the data about what we were hitting. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we were out. So during Sandy, after we failed over, about two days later, we went to Elasticsearch. Uh, because that was a leucine to leucine import. So that infrastructure's kind of changed, but the other stuff hasn't. Uh, Redis is the same. We're still on HA proxy. Sometimes we build it from the get head, like whatever feature we need. Uh, we're waiting for HTTP2 there. But a lot of stuff hasn't. Uh, a tag engine, I guess, has shifted. Since the beginning, like I said, tag engine was full text search. Now it's a full in-memory thing that uh, Sam Safran and Mark Gravel have written. Mark Gravel's got a new version. We actually want to run this on GPUs. That may happen this year is putting GTX 1080s, a pair of them, in a server, and using those yeah. to serve, like, which tags you want in Stack Overflow. So that'll be a really fun experiment. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. 11K. That's, I, I, I love that, too. I, I love how, I, I guess we could call it agile. I love how maybe maybe a better word is, like, flexible or, or open you guys are with mm-hmm. trying new things. I know that, um, like, SQL Server 2016, like, you guys were using that, like, really early days. Um, I was just like, oh, if you, you know, I was talking to... Uh, uh, it was a former guest. It was uh, Steve Morowski. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just like, oh, you know, have you looked at some of the advantages of Server 26? He's like, oh, yeah, we're using them. Let me show you. And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> you guys are like, you guys are on the bleeding edge for sure. Um, I love that you guys are, are willing to try that stuff and then, you know, provide feedback and, and, and those types of things. So just really cool work that you guys are doing. It's like uh, as a developer it, it, and, and as, as like a technical guy, you guys must have so much fun. I mean, I'm sure you guys... Uh, uh, break stuff and, and put yourself into a corner every once in a while, I'm, I'm guessing, but mm-hmm. y- I'm guessing you're having a blast most of the time, right? Yeah, I mean, we consider it, a lot of companies are like, oh, that'd be wasted time. Well, no, learning what does or doesn't work is not wasted time. Uh, most yeah. of developer life is finding nine ways that don't work and then yeah. <laughs> going further down the one, right? And it yeah. really is, uh, most of the people who work here believe like at their core of helping developers, helping sysadmins. And if we can test this software early, we're, we're testing SQL way before RTM. We deployed uh, 2014 in CTP2. There's a blog post on that, why we do it. And if we can test this stuff way earlier than everyone else, um, especially with Microsoft. is uh, They're getting better, more agile with this. But as a big company, once you do a release, it's a lot harder to get something fixed than it is mm-hmm. a month before the release. So if right. we can test this and find some showstoppers and save you know tens of thousands of developers' headaches, then yeah, it's worth two hours of our time to save 20,000 of your time. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah, it's, it's not a tagline. Like, we actually want to do that. Luckily, management has no problem with that because we get some wins too, right? New tech has good stuff in it. Otherwise, people wouldn't upgrade. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, 
Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.Words for .NET, a powerful toolkit to work with Word documents in your applications. So you guys must have like a, a ton of data. And I guess the question I have around that, there's always like this, this line that you cross where all of a sudden you go from having data to having big data. And now you need like, you know, people start saying, oh, you need Hadoop and you need to do, um, you know, map reduce and, and you get into that whole world. And then you realize like that's a super complex, um, I don't want to say ugly because I don't want to insult anybody who's in that world because, because it's actually an awesome place to be. Um, and then you guys are, are using SQL, but you know, like SQL server, just like sort of standard queries is like kind of the other world. Like there's a, there, and I, maybe I don't have a great perspective here, but it seems like there's kind of a contrast between like normal data and big data. So do you guys have big data and do you, do you handle it that way? Like how do you see the world? I don't think we have big data. Of course, the definition of big data is a fuzzy line about four <laughs> petabytes long. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah the, the definition of big data is big data is what you're saying? <laughs> I know. I, if I could find like 10 people to agree where the comma is, right? Which which comma do we break on? Is it the six comma club, the seven comma club? What's I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> How many commas do you have? That's awesome. <laughs> for, for Stack Overflow, it's not big data, right? We don't have big data for the databases. The only thing that's you could call maybe big data is we have our HTTP logs. So every time you hit our website, we record HTTP. We started this, uh, the developer who started it was Jared Dixon. And we said, you're nuts. This is stupid. We'll never use this. Now it's like the best source of data we have. Um, so <laughs> he won that one. Uh, what we do is every time you hit the site, we record. And it was very helpful for debugging, especially login issues and things like this. And now yep. then we looked at it. We said, look, we can find out what questions you like, what topics you like, and suggest better things. We can improve the site for you based on this, right? Um, so we keep that data around. And that's in SQL Server as well. And you're talking about 24, 25 terabytes of data right now. But that's not, that's still not big. I mean, what, Google backs up what is equivalent to our entire data center many thousands of times a second, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you look at big data. I, I'm looking at Google. I'm looking at Facebook. I'm well, yeah, the I mean, they're probably caching all of Stack Overflow, right? And they don't think anything of it. Yeah, they're just like, eh, you're black. <laughs> you know, I've heard statistics. What, what site are you talking about? <laughs> they've got terabits connections, right? Tens or hundreds of terabits in their fiber connections. And, you know, we're on like oh. a couple of gig pipes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's, we're, we're tiny. We're very, very tiny. Um. That being said, we're we're big enough for SQL partitioning to be a pain in the butt. Uh, it's um yeah. I'm actually doing, doing a thing. Uh, right yeah, I was gonna say, are you guys doing in-memory SQL then? No, we're not using any of the. We were misquoted um uh, about SQL Pass a couple years ago. We don't use any of the Hecaton or any of that stuff in okay. SQL Server. It's yeah. very it's very crud. We use some cluster column stores and we use yeah. no store procedures. We're very vanilla, and it makes it so we don't like like store procedures is a big debate, right? Everyone's like, oh, they're faster. They compile faster. I'm like, that was true about a decade ago. So the that kind of stuff, when you deploy a, a web app that's on multiple servers, that complicates things because you have to have backwards compatibility or what state is this in and this is switching. Or, like, or if you just change your query, 
Well, we just roll through, and it there's less friction. Um, and I, I think I covered this in one of the posts about why we don't. But um, it's very vanilla, very crud usage, you know. And that scales really yeah. well. Simplicity is what scales for us. Yeah, that I, I've I've referenced your blog post to to talk about that as well, and reference the Stack Overflow architecture because I worked at a company I won't name names. This was a while ago, but we all of our logic was in the store procedures. Mm-hmm. And I know there's some companies that do this, and the idea being, like I I. I would always say, isn't this a terrible idea for scale? And they say, yeah, but we can patch a system just by blowing in a new store procedure, uh, which just sounds even worse now in, in hindsight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, let's, I, I really don't want to, to devolve into that. And it ended up being a, a huge bottleneck. And I kept, mm-hmm. every time I was using SQL just for CRUD operations, it was, it was unstoppable. I mean, it was just so incredibly fast. Um, so I've always used Stack Overflow as a great example of that too. Like, look how far they're pushing this. And they're really, when when all you ask of SQL is like, can you get me this data? Can you update this data? Can you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it is just unstoppable. It's whenever you say, hey, can you run this super complicated calculation across every record in this table and then tell me the one that has a result is greater than this? Uh, SQL just, it just dies, right? That's, I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, like it handles it admirably um, as well as it, as well as it can, but it's still, you're just, you're, you're, you're trying to ask way too much of it. Yeah. It, it depends. There's, there's so many factors people don't understand. Yeah. I, I'm the closest thing to a DBA we have. Um, we're, yeah. we're trained with other people. Most of our developers are very aware of SQL, right? And most of our cost with SQL is actually in the uh, PCIe NVMe drives. We use very, very fast storage, which helps yeah. alleviate a lot of issues like that. Effectively, everything's in memory. Um, right now, Stack Overflow is running 5 to 10% CPU on SQL, which sounds impressive that we're doing that much. And these are, again, not very expensive servers. These are like $40,000 servers, including the storage, which is like there's like yeah. $8,000 a card. And we yeah. have three of them. That's most of your <laughs> yeah. cost, right? Um, we're about to replace those servers in March or April because they're running out of warranty after four years. Like, that's the reason we're upgrading. So CPU <laughs> may be at 2% after that. I don't know. Um, your capacity constraint is warranty. I love it. Yeah. we <laughs> Bytes on disk is actually our constraint. We're like, Stack Overflow's growth rate versus the growth rate of SSDs is a constant battle because we kind of wait to the last minute to see, you know, we, we have yeah. luckily some inside contacts. We know what's coming with Intel and th- their new drives. You know, they have some Optane stuff coming out and some non-obtained stuff and uh it's weird because we have to we're like are we gonna run out of space and we're like but if we wait two months this new one's coming right. out we hope it yeah works. it's like half the price <laughs> double the size i mean yeah. this is like uh uh instead of moore's law we'll call it like jason's law like ssd doubles every you know i don't however many months and it's way shorter like it, it's been insane the, the the growth and and the fact now that you can buy like you know, and my kids' computers, like I threw SSDs in there and I just bought, you know, cheap ones that, that were nothing special, but you know, it's like 60 bucks for an SSD. Now it's, it's really phenomenal. We live, I, I just, I can't believe that computer manufacturers are still shipping computers with non SSDs. I mean, it's just, I think it's uh like a disservice unless you, unless you have like a super budget PC, um, they should all be SSDs and everybody's guilty of it, including mm-hmm. Microsoft. So, I mean, I'm not like singling anybody out, um, but it should just be SSD nonstop. I, so that's actually a good question. Do you use any non SSDs then? 
Um, in the data center, each of our SQL servers, the new, so we've got the new SQL server we're going to replace in March or April. We've got one for dev yeah. to test it out. It's on Windows 20 Server 16. So if you're going to test Server 2016, test it at your core infrastructure right on SQL Server, because what could go wrong, right? So we're testing it there <laughs> first, and then we'll roll it out everywhere else, because we're a little stupid. Uh, it's got spinning drives in the front, so you get 24 1.8 terabyte uh, 10Ks on the front yeah. for that slower storage. And then there's PCIe's in the back. Um, so for example... Uh, and the the four terabyte cards, the um, P thirty seven hundred thirty six oh eights that we use, are two controllers on the card, which is really annoying because Windows can't do RAID ten <laughs> and software. Mm. Uh, but Intel finally, in the latest generation servers, can do hardware RAID through the RSTE on their chipset. So um, we have the memory, you've got your PCI storage, and then you got spinning storage. But that's only in SQL. All the web tiers are just a pair of SSDs because uh, you yeah. boot faster. Um, one of the very important things to remember is that when you get a lot of memory in an app pool, so like Stack Overflow, 10 to 16 gigs, if we want to dump that app pool and look at it, you need to write it to disk out of memory, right? Mm. If you're writing an IS app pool, you pause it, and it stops responding to heartbeats. So actually, IIS's uh, process activation service will kill it mid-dump unless you can write it fast enough. Or you have to engineer around and kill the process activation service while it writes and then spin it back up and hopefully it didn't crash the server. You have uh, really amusing <laughs> problems. <laughs> They're interesting. WinDBG. That's barrel so it's great at parties. Just bring your WinDBG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, earlier we had talked about like website performance and I know that st- Stack Overflow, uh, every time you visit it, there's a, a chance that uh, you'll record certain statistics. Uh, exactly what are you measuring on the users and how are you using that information? So a very easy way for user for anyone listening to go test this, go to teststackoverflow.com and there's actually an explanation of all this. So what we do is in your browser for the past, I don't know, a half decade or so, they've added a thing called window.performance. It's a set of high frequ- uh, high um, accuracy timers, right? And you're going down to the millisecond uh, or lower of all the different events in a page. And this is just, uh, m- just search for window.performance MDN, get a good explanation. And uh, you can see exactly what we're uploading on Test Stack Airflow. That's why it's put there, because we're being very open about this. And I do this blog post on SSL. My hope is that I can open source a crap ton of this data, like just gigs and gigs and gigs of this data. So what happens is on Stack Overflow for 5% of requests, we ask the browser to upload the timings for that page and the things included Mm -hmm. in that page. And it actually has some uh, side benefits that weren't really envisioned when we first did it. So for example, uh, one of the HTTPS issues that we have that's a little odd but not that uncommon is user content, right? Users are putting images, users are putting links. Well, an HTTPS or an HTTP image in an HTTPS page is not really so good, right? That's going to get flagged. It's going to say insecure. So we need to convert those to HTTPS, which we've done for Imager. That was millions of images. That is done. We're working on the last vestiges of mixed content right now. Uh, me and a guy named uh, Samo out in Slovenia. He's my partner in crime here. So uh, those kind of things we can see with the client timings that some HTTP content is still being loaded. And we can go and find and kill those, uh, which is it's, it's kind of a neat little side benefit. But when we're moving from HTTP to HTTPS or we're moving from our service to Cloudflare or from uh, we went from MacCDN to Cloudflare to Fastly now is who we're on. And we can see this performance. You need to measure before and after. And the, before we did anything, we got this infrastructure set up. 
So 5% of requests, just take this little JSON blob you see at the bottom of that test page, send it up to our server, and we record it in a table so that we can get aggregate. And we have real-time monitoring all over the world about how long pages are taking to load, uh, you know, by country. And I will tell you, Cuba sucks. They're really, really (laughs) slow, like three seconds. It's horrible. I don't... Oh, (laughs) man. There's some strings and cups involved in Cuba internet. Um, that in China, China doesn't do, my understanding is they don't do BGP. They do like static routing a lot. And then it just comes out the front door somewhere. <laughs> I, I don't know, but the timing seem to reflect <laughs> that this is accurate. I like this. I, this is pretty cool. This test stack overflow.com because yeah, you guys are, I love the idea that you're, you're doing a, um, a sampling, right? Cause you have enough hits that you just, you can just sort of randomly sample these at a really low percentage. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you send all this data back and this, yeah, this data has got to be instrumental. I mean, you could throw this, I'm guessing you have some like uh, line charts where you're sort of tracking certain page performance over time. And yeah, we've got, I've got an yeah. actual map up in here. So we, I need to hook up and I need to uphold them out this. We've got um, some 40 inch 4k displays and yeah. we can, we just have use Grafana internally. We, we fit all of this data, not only into SQL, but also into Boson, which is an open source um, uh, monitoring system we have. So it's a metrics, telemetry, time series kind of stuff. And we can do this by country, by route, by everything. And we have real-time you know, colorization of, of the world for that stuff. And so one of the cool things, the reason Test Stack Overflow exists is not for you to go see it. That's a side benefit. People are going to do it. So I put a nice explanation there as to what we're doing. But for mm-hmm. example, right now, do you remember the DNS attack a couple months ago that took Twitter off? Oh, yeah. Yep. Dying, yep. Right? So yeah, We talked about that. So Twitter, uh, th- their main thing was they had one name server. The next morning, they had two. <laughs> and now I think they've got a few more for their, their DNS. We were not. We were on Route 53 with Amazon. We are, as we speak, deploying uh, Google Cloud DNS around the world right now to all of our domains. If you go to SuperUser, you'll see it enabled. It'll roll out to Stack Overflow probably this week. Um, and we're, we may go with three or four providers for DNS, so we have supreme redundancy. But so we're testing, we can test the performance of test Stack Overflow in an iframe that you don't see on stackoverflow.com to test other DNS providers without affecting page performance. Mm-hmm. So we can actually embed that and hide it as a trick to you to do client timings tests for other um, other scenarios, to, mainly for um, for DNS lookups, C names, anything like that. So we were moving from Cloudflare to Fastly, for example, how fast that resolution and TCP connection and HTTPS works. That's what we're doing. Uh, additional certificates, protocols, see who's connecting on what, that kind of stuff's handy. Okay, very cool. And then, um, how much do you focus on optimizing client versus server? Like, wh- what is your what is your approach there, or do you, or do you see it kind of all as the same thing? It's all the same thing. We're always uh, a lot of people are optimizing for a number, which is is bad. If you're in the you know you're looking at a SQL query and you get the same results, but you can get them faster, obviously that's better, right? Uh, but a lot of times when you're zooming out to the world, what does the page load time matter? It doesn't. It, what you at your house perceive as the page load time is what actually matters, right? No one's got a thing in their browser that says how fast the page or the page took the load, right? Um, except we do. It's actually in the corner of every single page. It's called Mini Profiler. <laughs> uh, so we're looking at that, but in terms of you know around the world, the client timings. That's one of the reasons we did this is because that's all the way back to the user. What does it look like? What's your DOM load time? What's your render time? What's the resources? So if an ad is slow or an ad network is slow, we can be aware of this, right? That kind of stuff. So I think you're really optimizing for what the user perceives and everything beneath that's just an, an element of it, right? It's just yeah. some some piece of the puzzle. Um, I, obviously, I spend a lot of time on the browsers uh, or on the, the server side as fires happen and things. You know, you push a change. We run at 5% CPU for the SQL server. You push a bad query, it can go to 90 in a hurry. That's why we run oh, like yeah. this. Um, yeah. 
so, you know, that's a lot of my time is fires like that kind of thing. I, I hop around and keep the gears moving. But um, the, the big picture is definitely client side, right? HTTPS doesn't matter so much to me. Uh, we're not a bank. There's not a whole lot of security data, but it's good. It's a good practice. What I want is HTTP2, <laughs> which is way faster. <laughs> that yeah. HTTPS is a means to an end, to be honest, in our, to get better performance. And if you go to Stack Overflow right now, as of yesterday, uh, we flipped on HTTP2 for connecting up to Fastly. And all the oh, static cool. content is HTTP2, and it's measurably faster, um, up to you know, 30 40% faster from where I'm at in the U.S. And, uh, of course, yeah, everything collecting data. Yeah, everything I click on in Stack Overflow is like instantaneous. I mean, I have a good connection, but it just shows you guys have done a good job on the client and the server. Absolutely. Even with these big pages. I've got, and there's another blog post I did a while ago. I actually haven't blogged that much. I need to, uh, about optimizing at the browser, measuring at the browser. If you look, I, yeah. can, I can send you links to it. That actually shows you um, some of the other things devs don't consider are like Seawind. And when you're coming in from a server, right? When you when you ask for a server for a web page, you get 10 packets back before you say, yes, I've got them, and you get some more. So whatever's in those first 10 packets is incredibly important because if it's enough to paint the page, wow, you're down. You're not down to 70 millions. You're down to one round trip, and your your limit is basically the speed of light at that point, right? Yeah. Um, so some of that stuff's pretty important, but it's not really like I was looking at the 10 fastest things uh, website post a minute ago, and uh, like they don't even mention this, which I find odd because that's that's where the network between you and the user is huge, right? That's that's so critical, and people are more concerned about the browser, or the server. But no, 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 you can't you can't ignore the in between. There's thousands of miles of fiber um, between you and that server, and yeah, you know. I, I love how I'm thinking about like what what big dependencies can I get rid of, and you're like you're like what is the speed of light? How close can we get to that? <laughs> and people misquote that all the time. They say the speed of light is this to this. Okay, that's in a vacuum, you jerk. It's white one point five. None of the fibers in a vacuum, unless you're on network. <laughs> that's awesome. Love it. Love it. So, you know, you know, I, I look at a lot of the blog posts you've done and they're really cool. They're full of cable porn. They're talking about hardware specs, but, um, you know, a lot of the people talking about all of the cool things, all the cool people are going to the cloud. So what are your thoughts on that? Since, uh, you at Stack Overflow do a lot of your hardware, host a lot of your stuff. What are your thoughts on cloud versus on-prem? And how many times per day do you get asked that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it happens often. Wait, actually, one of the blog posts that's uh, there's th those blog posts have a queue of things you can vote on. One of them is going to be uh, on prem versus cloud, right? We have uh, yeah. people who used to run major major websites on our SRE team, so we actually have experience from both sides, AWS and Google as well. Um, it, it, the cloud's great for a large set of scenarios. Past a certain point of scale for a single thing, I think that really starts to break down. For example, uh, on Azure, the biggest database you can get is a terabyte. Stack Overflow is three. So immediately to, you know, oh, I just moved to the cloud. Okay, well, we've got to shard this and all my foreign keys break down. And let's say, let's take it dumb. Let's say we didn't have to join anything and we just needed ops per second. Well, if you give her DTUs, which by the way, we were, we looked at this and we're like, what the hell's a DTU? And then we went. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're like, yeah. And the cost has changed a lot. These costs keep keep dropping in the cloud, right? Um, mm -hmm. But we were looking at DTUs, and we would need uh, eight SQL instances just to handle the ops per second. And that's assuming you didn't add joins and more queries yeah. to it. So you're talking about, just in terms of the Stack Overflow database alone, it was like $45,000 a month just to run the database. Yeah. Forget all the yeah. other stuff. Well, we only pay about forty with storage and memory and everything for a server one time. Yeah, you guys are, I mean, you're definitely, you're definitely an edge case. <laughs> yeah. And, and 
Yeah. And it would be, it would be interesting. Well, like you said, you have some people on your team that have cloud experience. So mm-hmm. it would, it would be an interesting, and I'm sure, actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've gone through this, just doing a, a thought exercise around that. Like SQL database probably wouldn't be the answer there. Um, it's the easy, it's the easy path. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it's probably not the the right answer. I mean, you guys are probably better off going against directly against something like blob storage. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of extra work for you. So, you know, there's, so there's there's sort of two aspects to this question is one is like, why didn't you just go cloud to begin with, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is the one we're looking for the answer for. And then the other one is like, why don't you go cloud now? And I think that answer is like super obvious. Like it, you guys would be working on that for the next two years and nothing would happen. I'm getting yeah. that's, that's it would be guess. stop the world. Right. And it's <laughs> yeah. also where where we have a single database, a single master. You would have yeah. to break that down. So and there there will be advantages to the cloud, right? I'm I i do not say yeah. the cloud sucks. I when I tell people the cloud is a terrible choice for us, for our scenario. I'm very specific about that. And if you ever catch me not adding that caveat, just hit me in the head with a hammer. Because that's that's important, right? For if you're running a small website, somebody asked me about a startup the other day. If you're doing ASP.NET hosting, what would you use? I was like, Azure. You don't need to buy a server. You don't need to spend your startup money doing this. You pay a very minimal amount and you, you start up, you're going. And if you find that you need to move to on-prem later, fine. You can, you can do that, right? Um, what you can do uh, in terms of why we weren't on it in 2008, it just wasn't there, right? I mean, you, you look back eight years yeah. and what where was Azure, right? One yeah, of the things, totally different, yeah. Like Hyper-V, right? Hyper-V has gotten tremendously better because they've dog-fooded yeah. the hell out of it. And that, we're the world's better for that. We're looking at moving to Hyper-V right now. We're testing it on a machine oh, with, with local storage. We're on ESX right now and um, we're tired of Flash like the rest of the world. So, <laughs> like, uh, you waited about five years too long to get us off that one. Um, <laughs> so, it, it just wasn't it wasn't there, right? And the advantages I, I allude to are like performance in Australia. Well, if our app was running locally in a Sydney data center or in a Singapore data center, yeah, that would be better, right? A long-term goal we have is actually to put read-only nodes. I think what I can do is put Stack Overflow and all of our network in a box about a 2U server. Mm. I think I can put the entire data center that we need to host the public websites in a 2U server and stick it in Singapore and stick it in Europe and stick it in South America. Um, and then we can ha- we can serve all read requests from that local point which is 99% of our traffic is reads, mm-hmm. right? The things of like, oh, you viewed a question, we need to record that data because the view count goes up or you commented or things. We can route you back to New York for a couple of seconds and then come back local. But for 99% of the requests, we could tremendously speed you up, right? So I think there's some in between a single location, which speed of light's a big enemy of us and mm-hmm. the cloud. Um, but in way back when, it just it wasn't even feasible. I, I'm I wondering how many references to Azure and AWS there were back then. Um, yeah, and now I mean, if you look at Azure today, I mean, there's we have uh, double the data centers of uh, AWS. There's thirty. There's thirty eight mm-hmm. that are both pl- planned and or that are announced. And and um, if you add the the ones that are planned to be built, there's thirty eight regions. So you mentioned. Uh, you know, like Australia, I mean, like we have, there's a data center there, you know, right next to them, which is, which is a huge advantage. Um, interesting. I, I'm, you know, as an Azure guy, I'm just kind of thinking like, yeah, I, I think you would, you would end up probably going against blob storage directly at the, the scale that you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably bring in a lot of other technologies for doing like indexing and things like that. I'm, I'm kind of curious as a thought exercise, if, if blob storage, and I, I know you're probably not going to have an answer to this, but I'm, I'm curious at, if that's, if that's, um, 
uh, cost effective because I have seen other companies do it with like insanely higher amounts of data and still have it be completely cost effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, obviously the discounting gets better as you as you're storing, you know, tons and tons of data. But um, with blob storage, I mean, you're you're paying the kind of the bare minimum and then you're doing that replication, which actually brings up another good point. I mean, you guys, how do you I know you have multiple data centers. So mm-hmm. like, how do you how do you do that replication between there? Is that like SQL always on or is it something yes. else? So AGs oh, always okay. on availability groups and SQL okay. is a source of truth in our system. So Redis cache is populated at both sides. Uh, Elasticsearch, the clusters are independent in both data centers. They're just indexing locally. There's a tag engine locally. There's a, you know, there's a one-to-one of everything in both data okay. centers. Um, for, for blob storage and things, I think what's an interesting use case for, all, for us that's really hard to measure and compare that we haven't found good data to go against is that 80% of our questions on Stack Overflow are visited every week. The, the tail is just humongous. People just find arcane knowledge all the time. You, you, a lot of people, like, you have a hot section of content and then a lot of yeah. storage. And we don't really, like, you're going to be accessing that stuff. So the amount, uh, especially in the SQL, the database layer, a large amount of cache is important. Uh, right now, we're only at 384 gigs. That's that's not a lot of cache. You can get, no. you can get servers up to 6 terabytes now. Um, we're going to go to 768 or maybe 1.5 in the new servers. But we're comfortable at 384 now. Um with something like a 99% hit ratio. Yeah. God, I'd love to see Stack Overflow with like Azure Functions as the front end, like go go completely serverless and then use uh use our storage technologies on the back end and oh, yeah, it'd just be it'd be kind of it'd be kind of <laughs> neat to see like the opposite architecture and see what that looks like. But I love what you guys are doing though cuz you're really pushing the envelope on the on the other end of the the direction. Um so what I I know you you had mentioned things like mini profiler and mm-hmm. one one thing that I've always found interesting about what you guys are doing is you guys, um, I know you use some tools that already exist. Sometimes you reinvent, uh, or I shouldn't say reinvent, that makes it sound bad. Sometimes you invent like newer, um, you know, different tools that are, that work really well for what you guys are doing and, Mm -hmm. and other people find them useful. So, so I think you guys have published quite a few like free tools out there for doing this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mini profiler is one example. Are there there others? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a website that really needs a designer because it's uh, designed by developer TM, right? Uh, stack, (laughs) stack exchange, github.io is a, there's a landing page that lists all of the things. And, uh, for example, op server is a .NET based monitoring system for SQL, Redis, everything else. It can pull from Orion. It can pull from Boson, and it can also look at all these things directly. That one I maintain, I write, 99.9% 99.9% of that one. Um, the There's other stuff like Boson, which is our time series. It goes on top of time series. Uh, we're really hoping that InfluxDB comes along <laughs> because uh, OpenTSDB on HBase is the bane of our existence. We're afraid to add how many hours we've spent keeping that thing online. It's <laughs> you, you send in five megabit of data and it replicates gigabits uh, per second across the network. You're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and people are like, this is normal. I'm like, so it's a little chatty. It's oh, it's it was like twenty to one. No, no, sorry, two thousand to one amplification for replication. We're like, what? what? And yeah, it's 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 oh, to the, you get your own uh, yeah, ORM as well. Looks like. Dapper is very 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 fast. Link to SQL was too slow for Stack Overflow, um, so we've replaced it. We're still on Link to SQL for some areas for writes. We're thinking right. about entity framework at some point. Um, uh, things like uh, uh, Shintax and things or uh, Brett Copeland's team. They um. For the ad server, Calculon server, um, the ones that show you jobs on the side of Stack Overflow, they need to run various scheduled jobs and tasks. We'll actually have a scheduler that hits our network. We might get to that in February, and that'll be based on that piece of technology. Um, some other ones in there are... 
I love that you have them all on one page. Like I didn't know these pages existed. Um, and it's, it's great. Like we'll have all these in the show notes so people can check them out. I need to put it on stack overflow there or stack exchange. Sorry. The stack exchange website. Have you ever been to com slash performance? No, this is something we put together. So it's something I need to hook up to real time. Uh, what I plan to do is have this page pull from op server as a plugin model. I'm waiting on some a- hmm. ASP to MVC bits there, but this gives you general stats about how we are, what the CPU load is, how many hits per second, various systems get uh, requests per second to Redis and SQL and all, because some people find that interesting. So one of the things I oh, really cool. want to do, so picture this is based on JSON coming in. So picture that JSON being available every five seconds or so from op server refreshed in the background. Mm-hmm. Then I don't know. I don't only have this as a website. I can actually use this in slides at presentations. So I can use cache JavaScript for our stats, but it can also do real time updates in my because all of my slides are HTML. Um, yeah. So I, <laughs> we've got all these grand plans, and I need more. I need more hours in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you only work like thirty hours a day, right? I've been trying to keep it to twenty eight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. a lot of it's open source i mean stack overflow doesn't yeah. uh, we don't work with people like that but we um yeah we spend a lot of time in open source especially at mark gravel and i on yeah uh, stack exchange redis is also another big one so if you're using azure cache that's one of the two libraries they're going to point you to to use and actually uh as of this morning 1.20 alpha is out which adds geo functions and things like that mark did a big um uh, roundup of mini PRs and things this morning. So we'll, okay. what we do before we... One of the things, the advantages of doing stuff uh, at Stack Overflow is that we can dog food the hell out of it really quickly because we have the traffic mm-hmm. to do it. So before yeah. we put a package on NuGet, you can rest assured that it is tested at Stack Overflow. We Before we mark That's something... Pretty cool. Yeah, before yeah. we mark something final, we will like tomorrow morning. We will dog food this alpha and make sure it works 100 percent before we ever mark get close to marking it as release. Um, it'll be running at Stack Overflow before it's labeled as open on NuGet. That That's just cool. a really cool testament to uh, of the code quality and uh, what it can handle. Yeah, and it's only going wrong like a couple of dozen. Uh, no, it's, it's usually pretty, <laughs> pretty good. Uh, your site is down right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, anything else that you wanted to mention? There are probably tons of <clears throat> questions we didn't ask that you have amazing answers to, but is there anything else that, that you think we should have asked? I don't know. I just, I want to see a lot of developers keep stuff simpler. I see people just going crazy, doing absolutely insane things to optimize. If you just step back and say, what's the simplest way I could achieve this? It, it scales yeah. better in many ways, right? Not just performance, but maintainability and extensibility, right? You can, you can always make something more complicated if you need to. But uh, a, lot, a lot of people, we try, I actually, I was, I was tweeting this the other day of um, Dev Discuss was saying biggest mistakes you've made, right? One of the things we did at uh, Stack Overflow was Teams, which was, uh, if you if you're following along Teams, is a horrible decision. We were like, we're building this, it's going to be awesome. We're like, who's it for? We're like, I don't know, we'll figure it out. And then people in Met are like, who's this for? <laughs> I'm like, we don't know. And then eventually we went, what the hell are we doing? And we stopped and <laughs> did something else. Um, but a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, Dapper, actually now you can select from a table. And if you store multiple types in a table that have the same abstract type. So if you have a, a column that's like JSON oh, okay. data and it populates yeah. other fields, now Dapper can type switch on whatever you want and populate many types of the same abstract type, right? So you could return a list of abstract, but each row be the thing it's supposed to be, right? You could have a table of animal, but you could have a dog, a giraffe, whatever, per row as it comes out, Um and that kind of stuff was we invented for teams. Turns out a lot of people were asking for that in issues. We just didn't understand what they were asking for till we came to the problem. Like, mm-hmm. oh, um, so I, I really, that's what I hope to see over the next 10 years, right? People just simplifying 
And uh, a lot yeah. of this stuff's getting... And we're working with Microsoft on some of this too, right? We're, we're working with the .NET teams. Um, the, some, of the, some of the stuff's NDA, some of the stuff's not. But uh, I'm hoping a lot of the stuff that we optimize here can make it back into the framework to where you don't need to come to my blog to find it. You don't need to do anything. It just it's there for you and it's automatic, right? So then the question I have for you then, are you looking at .NET Core? Yes. So we're doing um so .NET Core on Stack Overflow, the gave a back in September was it's probably a year away. And the reason for that is there are pretty libraries on uh not on .NET Core and which I'm working mm-hmm. on. I'm working on many profiler v4 right now which will support .NET Core. Um there's a there's a weird delineation. A lot of people think .NET Core or not and that's not actually how we think of it. It's actually new MVC or not. So if you're using ASP.NET MVC, HTTP context changed, HTTP request changed, all the types are different. So if you have a, um, so one of the other things that we do, for example, is log exceptions. All the exceptions for all of our apps go to one place, and we can view them in op server, right? So all this stuff ties together. Um, we use Stack Exchange Exceptional, uh, which is something under, under my GitHub uh, that we. It uses the HTTP request and context and things to grab things off and automatically record those. Well, obviously, that doesn't work with the new MVC. So I need to rewrite that and release a different version, right? And the way that due to the way the refs and things work, there's not a .NET standard build and a .NET 4.6 build and a whatever. It's actually a different library. It has to be because you're referencing .NET Core with MVC over here, and this one references System Web, and they can't be the same thing. They have to be two different libs. Um, so that's been a little bit of a sticking point where I'm figuring out exactly what that looks like with Mini Profiler right now. Uh, once that's the case and we port the remaining libraries, then it becomes even a possibility to switch to .NET yeah. Core. Um, there are some that are really scary. Like we use .NET OpenAuth, which I, th- I might be abandonware at this point, <laughs> um, but it's really stable, right? We have found no one implements OpenID correctly. Right. So if you're thinking about using OpenID in your website, the best advice I can give you is drive far away from that decision. Uh, we, it's the, one of the biggest regrets we have as developers for OpenID. It's great. You can just log in with Google and OAuth. Yeah. Another. OAuth, you have to have different code for Google, for Facebook, for whoever. So Microsoft has providers for this, which is great. But we're really afraid that um, a huge number of the edge cases of OpenID providers, because we support anyone's OpenID provider, uh, over the years that we've accumulated and upstreamed to .NET OpenAuth are going to be the same pain. We're going to repeat those when we move to any library. And that's that's kind of hard, right? You can't just say, oh, let's go back. That's Once you're moving to .NET Core, you kind of made that decision. People were, it's a bigger change for a large code base than I think a oh, lot yeah. of people were admitting. Um, yeah, it is, for sure. It's not bad. It's good stuff. The team's working crazily yeah. on perf. And he, we're on the slow version of ASP.NET we could run on one web server. So I'm hoping yeah. we get like half that <laughs> performance off, right, when we move to core. Yeah, uh, It's good stuff. The main thing we want to do as developers, just as open source maintainers, we want to unblock you for .NET Core, right? Stack Exchange Redis supports .NET Core. Dapper supports it. Mini Profiler is going to support it. Exceptional is going to support it. Uh, most of our libraries, um, and if you have something we make that you're ping us, right? And we'll try and get it moved over. But And we're working on a lot of that with, you'll see us on GitHub, the issues. IDP connection. There's a saga there. If you're unaware, read it. It's fun. You'll laugh. You'll cry. Get a, get a stiff drink before you read that thread. Um, okay. And a happy ending. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay. <laughs> Very cool stuff. Okay. So let's move on to the Azure pick of the week. What do you got, Carl? So uh, for those of you who do do things in the cloud and uh, you'll, you'll notice that uh, especially in Azure, things work best if you can kind of keep them all in the re- same region. So if you can keep your database close to your uh, stream analytics and message buses and all that stuff, everything just 
you know, it's cheaper. You can keep your data traveling in the same place. That's great, but not everything is available in all the different regions. So luckily Azure has a website, azure.microsoft.com slash region slash services. And there you go. All of the different uh, regions and all of the different services with a nice little chart on what's where. Uh, this came in really handy for me when needing to uh, make a decision. Uh, we have uh, clients that have uh, uh, customers uh, in certain clusters throughout the world and just trying to figure out which data centers uh, made sense uh, for where their customers were and w what Azure features we needed to uh, use. So I had been wondering if this existed for a while, but uh, about 30 seconds in a Google search found it for me. So <laughs> now, uh, now you guys can just cool click the show notes. header as well. As I don't know if that's, down. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that's cool. So you can, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm in the Asia one. I, I'm in the Asia one right now. Uh, so you can see, Oh, that's Japan East versus central India. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. All in one place. I like it. Yep. We had a right, bug I'm report trying to keep my, what was that? We had a bug report for that. Someone, the features you're talking about, someone was trying to use mm -hmm. Redis to because Azure Cache was in beta or test. or yeah. mm -hmm. They kept trying to connect from Japan to Virginia and complain that sometimes the 500 millisecond timeout didn't work. And we're like, uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like, <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Okay, Carl, what do you got for the app of the week? So the app of the week is uh, called Reigns, like uh, reigning over someone, R-E-I-G-N-S. And this is a, a a cool little game. First of all, it's it's really simple to play. You you get a little card and you either swipe it left or right, and it uh, it you're basically answering a yes or no question. And uh, what you did, what decision you're making, totally affects the game. And it, you're playing like a medieval uh, king or queen, and. Uh, what took me more, you know, a couple of rounds to realize is you're going to die. And uh, you have, you have like the dynasty of, you know, several hundred years to uh, maintain certain goals or your dynasty dies off. Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of cool because the decisions that you made in the past kind of stick around to haunt you and your, and your children and your great grandchildren. It's, it's a really fun game. Uh, cool artwork, uh, very simple to play. You can play it for just a minute or two if you want. Uh, so if you're on iOS or Android, definitely check that game out. Yeah, I played it. It was uh, it was pretty fun. It's cool. I mean, it has like cool sound, cool graphics. Um, and yeah, it's kind of quick. And um, I don't know. I, I don't I mean, the point is just to live as long as you can. Right. <laughs> well, the thing is that there is a way to beat the game. So okay. I, I've I've died a dynasty twice. So you get to like somewhere around present time ish. And oh, wow. And then you actually restart the game. You lose everything and start from scratch. Hard reset. Oh, geez. Yeah. So See, there is a, it that far. Yeah. So there is a goal, ultimate goal to get to. I just haven't figured it out. Okay. <laughs> they just told you there was. <laughs> no, there, there is. And I've heard enough people like, don't go searching on the internet. Otherwise you'll see it. And you know, I'm one of those. I don't like to ruin games. Yeah. So it's exactly okay, what I would and then say. What do you, yeah. And then what do you get for the dev tip of the week? All right, I'm trying to stay away from keyboard shortcuts, but this one was just too cool. Uh, so once again, <laughs> they keep sending them to us and people keep sending us uh, keyboard shortcuts. So thank you again, Jason Nguyen. Um, he sent us one for visual studio. So if you take like, uh, you're familiar with, uh, you know, collapsing and expanding code, like by the namespace, yeah. by the class, by the function, mm -hmm. but let's just say you have like, you just want to like hide some code and it's, some legacy code. It's a few hundred lines or just two lines. You can actually select it and hit control M control H 
and it'll collapse it. And the cool thing about it too is it'll collapse in the middle of lines. So you could collapse the middle of a line if you wanted to. Oh, that's if, cool. If somebody wrote like, you know, a 300 character line link statement or something. and didn't. Oh, I always thought it had to be like at a code folding point, but that's pretty cool. No. So you can do all this code, fold, code folding wherever you feel like. Okay. That is very cool. Let's see. Okay. So Nick, there's a game that we play on the show. What I need you to do, it's really complicated. I need you to pick a number between one and four and let me know what it is. And it's inclusive. So you are able to pick one and you're able to pick four, but you don't have to. Four. Got to go base two here. Four. Okay. Would you rather be extremely lucky or be extremely smart, but not both lucky and smart? Hmm. Are you aware of which one I am in this scenario? <laughs> I mean, like, like, like you pick one and then, and then I'm like, Ooh, you're really lucky. You're a lucky jackass or, uh, <laughs> man, you're smart, but you get hit in all the wrong breaks. So basically you have to be lucky and dumb or unlucky and smart. I think it's smart. I can figure my way out of things if I'm smart, right? Yeah, but Maybe. you're gonna be really unlucky. <laughs> this is this is really a no-win situation here. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with smart. <laughs> okay, Carl, pick a number between one and four. I'll do number three. Number three. Would you rather be forced to share your bedroom with a huge reindeer, <laughs> or be forced to share your bathroom with a man who has strange skin rashes? Ah, <laughs> uh, that. Reindeers aren't tameable. You can at least tell the guy with the skin well, rash to like I know, back like, up. <laughs> and it's in your bedroom. So like, you go to sleep and a reindeer attacks you like viciously, like or no like craps you. on your bed or something. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it's always there, right? And you have to feed it. So like, oh, I'm going to bed. Better get some grain. <laughs> they vegetarians? Reindeer? I think so. I don't think they're carnivores. <laughs> okay, I'm just double checking. <laughs> it's an important aspect to explore. <laughs> I'm just picturing like the reindeer now putting like a horse head in your bed. (laughs) (laughs) The note is like, you're next. Oh, oh boy. Okay. So, um, it looks like (laughs) Carl, I think, I think you, I think you have made a record here for the most links that we're going to put in our show notes. I I don't know if you noticed, Uh, but there's one that says to do finish. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is just a partial list. So our show notes will be exceptionally long, but I think that's some kind of world record, Nick. Uh, but anyway, where can people find you online? Uh, usually Twitter, uh, Nick underscore Craver, because Jared Dixon had an underscore and I joined Twitter and I didn't know any better. And, and I will say it is definitely worth following you on Twitter. Uh, some things are just uh, hilarious, your take on things. CES 2017, things that get Wi-Fi is kind of a gold mine. Like, just <laughs> what the hell are they thinking? Okay, I'm now following you. <laughs> I, it's a, oh, my it's pocket a buzzed. That might have been you. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I was your buzz. Um, okay, and Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Nick, thank you so much for coming on here because this is, uh, you know, I've been fascinated by the, the blog posts that you've written in the past. So I really appreciate you coming on here and talking to us about this. Thanks for having me.